Well, last week we began going through Colossians once again. We've done it a couple of times already, but um, God just kind of drew me here. And the connection that it makes with our life now uh, is huge. It's important. It it really is. Um, Colossians was written by Paul. Paul was a man who persecuted all those who had proclaimed uh, Christ as the Messiah. Paul was Saul before um, before he came and encountered Christ, and uh, God gave him a new calling. And often, you see in Scripture, uh, some often they get a new name. Not every time, but often they do. Anyhow, Saul is Paul, the same guy. Um, when he had that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was going to Damascus on that mission of hunting down those who believe Jesus is the Christ. And he had an encounter, and he encountered Christ. And through that process, we're not exactly sure where it was in that process, uh, he himself came to know Christ. But in that process, part of what went on is God called one of his followers, Ananias, to go and meet with Saul, to go and meet with this guy who was persecuting those who saw Jesus as the Messiah. And we read in Acts chapter 9, it says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has the authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He says, I have heard, I have heard about this guy. And what I heard about this guy is that he is looking to arrest all of those who call on your name. This is what I have heard. He heard how much damage, well, maybe not how much, (coughs) but he heard that that Saul, that Paul, was definitely causing damage uh, to those who believed in, in Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the Messiah. When we say Christ Jesus, it's basically Messiah Jesus. You know, that's the, the Greek and the Hebrew there. Uh, you know, what if people heard about you? Just the thought that came to my mind as I was working on this passage, you know, what have people heard about you? I'm a little embarrassed about what some people have heard about me over the years. I'm a little embarrassed about what they have even heard from me even after I came to Christ, Um, you know, but what have they heard about you? Well, on this day here, uh, where Ananias goes, people began hearing new things about, about Paul. They began hearing new things about him because he's a new man in Christ, because he was made new, because he had an encounter, because he now became one of those whom he was earlier chasing. He now became one of those who believed that Jesus was a Christ, who saw that he was here and he came as the Messiah. And here we are, 25 years later, he wrote this letter to the Colossians. And he says at the beginning of that letter, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. He made a huge transformation, a huge transition 
And again, remember, this is 25 years later. 25 years later after this account we read in Acts chapter 9. You know, and here he is now, in, as he writes Colossians, he's under arrest in Rome. We looked at the end of Acts chapter 8 last year, that last year. Last week, just seemed like a year ago. Last week, um, you know, we, we looked at that and we saw where he was now under arrest in his own rented home. You know, that's, we think, well, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, no, it was. He couldn't go where he wanted to. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. He could have people in, but he had to be there. Rome wasn't even where he wanted to be at that time. He was taken from uh, in the midst of a missionary journey. And he was, he was taken you know, to a, another place. Now, God used all that, certainly. Well, today we're going to go further into Paul's letter to the Colossians. Let's pray, though, and then we're going to get to our passage. Father, thank you for the way in which you work. And uh, quite often, in ways we don't expect. And how foolish of us, really, to think you should act according to what we think, but that's kind of how we proceed through life too often. We forget about the fact that you are God, and not only do you have better ideas, you have the right plan. Uh, We kind of strive sometimes for our own stuff, our own plan, our own ideas and thoughts. We really need to learn this whole thing of following you more dynamically, of following you in a way in which you open doors that maybe we weren't expecting, didn't even know existed, in which you... Uh, lead and guide in ways which might be a little bit frustrating to us, but still are in the center of your will. So as we look into your word, help us to learn a little bit more, maybe what we're even overlooking right now, of what you would have for us, your people. So open your open your yourself to us as we look into your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 1, if you haven't turned to Colossians yet, get there. Colossians chapter 1, we looked at the first two verses last week. And we're picking up speed. Uh, We're going to cover verses 3 through 14. That's the plan this week. See, it's page 1083 in the Pew Bible or on your phone, tablet, or whatever it is. I wasn't going to say in your memory. Don't get your feelings hurt, but I just don't think any of you have the whole book of Colossians memorized yet. Kent's not here, so I could say that. If Kent were here, then I'd have to, I'd have to maybe ask him if he could repeat it for us. Okay, down, verse 3. Here we go. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day that you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Now, we're going to pause there. We'll pick up with the, with the rest of this in a minute. But, you know, so keep your Bible open, not only because we're going to pick up, but as we go through this, I want you to see some things in what we just read. Now, we have no record of Paul ever visiting Colossae. We have no record of that at all. And it seems that he didn't, that he never went there. But he had heard about them. You know, he had heard about them, and they heard about him. There was this acquaintance by distance, if you will. You know, from what what he had heard about them from Epaphras, and what they had heard about Paul, some of which at the beginning wasn't so good. He was the guy killing 
killing Christians. You know, and, and so, but they're, they're, here, Paul wants to help them. He wants to help them, so he prayed for them. Now, I hope you are praying for people. I really hope you are. And I hope you're praying for people, even people that you have not met. Now, we're going to talk more about that later as we get a little further into this passage here. But notice, Paul does more than prayer. Now, prayer is important. But it's also important that we don't use prayer as an excuse for not doing something. We do that sometimes. We use prayer as an excuse for not doing something when we can step in and help. Paul couldn't leave Colossae, or excuse me, couldn't leave Rome to go to Colossae. He couldn't do that because he was under arrest, but he could still do something. So he prayed. But you see here, he did more than pray. What did he do? He wrote them this letter. He made this connection with them. He still made a connection with them, you know, about what he had heard. Did you ever think that you may be part of the, you may be part of the answer that God's bringing into a situation? Well, no, not me. Well, not you if you just sit there, you know, but yes, you, if, if you, you know, if you do something. And it may be something as simple as writing a, anybody, just wild, wild, I'll take a chance here. Any of you ever get a card here from Barb Fisher? And if you ever been encouraged by getting this envelope and you see stickers on the outside and you already know this is from Barb. Isn't it nice to know somebody cares? Isn't it nice to know somebody's thinking about you? Some of you have never met her face to face. You see, so here... You know, Paul is doing something. You know, we, we can do something. You know, here he reaches out to them, you know, and, and you can be part of that answer. God can use that as part of the answer. Now, he couldn't travel to him. He was under arrest. He writes this letter and he says, verse 4, I heard of your faith. <coughs> I heard of your faith. What if people heard about you? You know, what have they heard about you? Now, here he says, I heard about your faith. Faith, you know, faith, it, it, it's... It's not something that we that we can possess, you know, like a car or a house that you only use it when you need it. You know, most of you in here have a car and right now you're not using it. You're not doing anything with it. You know, you have a house. You're not doing anything with it. I, again, I feel very comfortable in saying all of you have other clothes in your closet and your dressers. Some of which you've never even worn But you see, we're not talking about here, so when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about faith as a possession that you have that, you know, you can whip it out when you need it, you know, and now I need this, you know, and now I'm going to, you know, now, now I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use it. That's not what it is. Faith, faith is it's a vibrant force that expresses itself in how we live. That's what faith is. It expresses itself in how we live. How you live. Every day is expressing your faith. How you live, how you treat people, how you approach life, how you do your job, how you talk to your neighbor, 
how you speak to your children, your grandchildren, how you, how you interact with the mailman, the, the delivery guy, the, per, the clerk at the grocery store. All of these, all of these things is an expression of your faith. You say, well, no, it's not. No, no, it is. Sometimes you just don't want it to be. Now, last week we talked about the fact of what your mission is, and I said your mission is what you do, meaning how you live. Your mission is how you live. God didn't just call, you know, Andrea and the Fudges and all that. He didn't just call them to be missionaries. What he said is, you will be my witnesses. Who? You. You who believe in me. You are my, you are my witnesses. You are my missionaries. Why? By, by how you live. You're, you know, what's my mission? My mission is to live for Christ. And your mission field is where you're at every moment of every day. You know, whether it's Chad or Asia or, you know, or the south end of Fort Wayne, wherever it is, wherever it is that you are every day, that is your mission field. Wherever you are, every moment of every day. Why? Because faith expresses itself in how we live. Now, we live in a dominantly secular culture. And we face constant pressure to fit in with the values and the standards of this culture. And that is becoming more and more apparent every day. You are, you are faced with pressure to fit into this culture. You are faced with pressure to fit in to be what they want, what they, what, what the consensus, I would say, what the vocal folks want you to be. You are faced with that pressure every day. You know, it's not just kids in school, but it is kids in school. We had them up last week, and I said, pray for these guys. Here's one of the things you can pray for them, you know, is that God will help them to withstand the pressure that they have to, to fit in, to be one of, you know, whatever it is that's, that's there. But we all have that pressure, and, you know, we all have that. Watch the news. I mentioned last week that we are becoming a, a greater divided society. More and more division there. Why? Because you're not like me. And you need to be like me. That's the pressure we have. And it's, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. You know, it's going to get worse in this world. And when you're living for Christ, you, you know, you, you will see this. You, you, you know, you will see it even, you know, will see it even more. Faith expresses itself in how we live in spite of the pressures of this culture. In spite of the pressures around you, in spite of the pressures of your co-workers, of your fellow students, of your neighbors, in spite of the pressure from all those around it, we can say we have faith all we want. You know, we can, we can talk about it, we can say that we have faith all we want, and we can even have some great arguments and some great examples, you know, but all of that becomes even more powerful. Even, all of that becomes even more real when we begin to live out, when our faith actually matches what it is we say we believe. That when our life actually begins to match the faith we say we have. You want a test of faith? Well, really, a, a test of faith is whether it makes any difference in the way you live. Your test of faith, a test of faith is, does it make any difference in the way you live? Does it make any difference in the way you treat others? 
Notice what he said here. I have heard about your faith and the love you have for all the saints. I heard about the love you, he says, I heard about the love you have for all the saints. What a great way to be known. What a great thing to be known for. This is love, this is love actions, actions for the betterment of the other person. The love you have, those things you do for the betterment of the other person. He says, this is what he's talking about. John chapter 13, just before Jesus is, hours before Jesus is crucified, he has his disciples, he has those with him there, the ones who are going to not only lead what he, you know, what he is laying out and leaving them before them, but he is, you know, he is telling them the importance of that night you guys are the ones that hung out with me for these three years you guys are the ones who have been there you guys are the ones who saw me with the miracles you guys are the ones who had these one-on-one conversations with me he says now here's the important thing for you he says i give you a new command love one another just as you have loved me you must also love he's saying this to a group of people who never would have hung out together outside of christ He's saying this to, to some who were fishermen. He's saying this to some who were tax, to some who were tax collectors. He's saying this to some who were, who were zealots, who were, who were you know, revolutionaries and stuff. Guys who never would have been together. And he says here, he says, you, you need to love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this all people will you know that you are my disciples. Why? Because of this love you have for one another. Because of the way you are living your life. For the betterment of one another. This is what he's talking about. He's not saying that you can say, man, this is my best friend. No, no. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying so you can say, man, these are the people I really want to be with. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is these are the people. You know, these are the people that I'm going to live toward. How am I going to act towards them in a way that shows my faith is more than simply empty words? That I am going to live this out. He says, you know, that you have this love for all the saints, all the saints, even for those that you may not care for. You know, even those you may not, you know, that may not be the ones you want to share a pup tent with. You know, you still need to care for those you don't care for. You do. You still need to care for those you don't care for. Not just care about them but actively care for them. This is love that he's talking about. Working for the betterment of, 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 of others. You know, now, some of us rub people the wrong way. I've been known to do that on occasion. Uh, some of us are hard to be with. You know, some of us are rude and abrasive. Some of us are loud. Some of us have, have a very odd sense of humor. <coughs> you don't have to like everyone. But... You still need to love those that you don't like. You see, you still need to love. In our culture, love is all about feelings. You know, and this is where it gets a little confusing for us. In our culture, it's all about feelings. You know, and you love someone and you fall in and out of love. That's, that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. But, you know, it's all about, about feelings. In the New Testament, love is commanded. You cannot command feelings. But yet love is commanded. You know, the New Testament love, it's not referring to emotions, but it has to do with actions that ha- have a goal of improving the welfare of another. 
That's what love is talked about in the New Testament. That's what love means. That of, of acting for the benefit of another person. Living, acting, doing, saying, speaking. We always thank God, he says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have. We always thank God because we have heard of your faith and the love you have. You know, people need encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. Some may not need as much as others, but everybody needs encouragement. 26, 27 years ago, uh, sat down with Kent and Sarah at um, was it Giordano's, I think it was. What's one was it? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, Giordano's on Nixie Highway in um, Illinois. And I was uh, interviewing Kent for a position here, which, you know, I've told you before, he agreed, he eventually agreed to come for a one-year internship, and he's on his 27th year of his one-year internship. But anyway, um, one of the things he told me, uh, you know, in this discussion is, he says, I'm going to need encouragement. And I said, man, you've got the wrong guy, (laughs) you know, in in me. You, unfortunately, if you're going to come, I'm not exactly Mr. Encouragement, you know. And, um, you know, and and, and I told him that. He thinks I've been encouraging, but it's probably only because I don't know why. But anyway... Uh, you know, this this whole thing of you know, we people need encouragement. Paul here is encouraging the Colossians with what he heard about them. Let me ask you just to think for a moment: Who have you encouraged this last week? Who have you encouraged this last week? You had opportunity to do it. I know that. Who have you encouraged? Make encouragement a habit. That means that, that means that you're going to put real effort into it. I have, worked, I have worked to do that. I have worked to encourage because I need to do that. It is not a natural thing for me. You know, it just isn't. My natural thing is to, tell, is to say to you, that's nice. Here's how we can do it better. That's kind of my natural thing. You know? Here's how we can do it a little bit better. Here's what we should do the next time. You know, that, that's just kind of, you know, you need to make, you need to put some real effort into it. Sincerely encourage people. Sincerely encourage them because they need it, not because you need to be recognized. There's a difference. Encourage people because they need encouragement, not because you need to be recognized as a nice guy. Not because you need to be recognized as, you know, as, you know, the, the guy who's an encourager. You know, that, that, that's not the goal. Be known as an encourager. Make that part of your, a goal for you, to be known as an encourager. Not so that's what people, <clears throat> not so that's what you know, people think about you, but because you are putting forth that effort to encourage them. You are putting forth that effort to help them grow. You are putting forth that effort for their betterment, you know, to help them be, you know how you, be, you know how you become known as an encourager? By encouraging others. I, you know, I mean, just uh, think that through. You're, you become known as an encourager by encouraging others regularly, sincerely, sincerely. I was, you know, 
I went to uh, I went to get some food this week, and uh, the cashier, you know, had commented, you know, on my mustache that, you know, they really like my mustache. And so I told her, I said, well, if you keep working at it, you can grow it too. No. Um, encourage, encourage someone sincerely, you know, on purpose, with, with, you know, with effort. Focus in on, on what it is, you know, that you, can, that you can help them feel better about themselves, about life, about coming to find Christ as Savior. You know, be an encourager. Again, not to earn points, uh, but as a result of God loving us. You know, he says, you, you know, that, that we've heard about this. He said, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, in verse 5. He says, because of that hope re- reserved for you in heaven. When you become a new creation in Christ, you know, you begin to operate with new values, new desires given to you by God. That God, you know, when, it's, when Scripture tells us that God is going to give us the desires of our hearts and we think, good, because here's what my heart desires. No, 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 no. You've got the whole wrong picture there. When God is going to give you the desires of your heart, what that God is going to do is he's going to take those lousy desires that you have and he's going to remake them. So now you will have new desires when you grow in him. And he will give you those desires. I desire things, you know, now that I, I, I never did before. You know, and, you know, people coming to know Christ, you know, and some things that I, before, you know, if you, if you did something stupid, I, I just figured, well, you were stupid, you know, and you deserve what you got. But, you know, it really breaks my heart sometimes now. When I see people doing something stupid. Because I know it means they need to know Christ and they don't know Him. And you see those desires. God has given me that desire in my heart. So when Scripture talks about God will give you the desires of your heart, this is what He's talking about. You know, those, those, those new desires you know, that, that will be there given to you by God. The gospel should always bear fruit in your life. He begins talking about that here. You know, there should always be a result and impact from the gospel. You know, he says here that you're growing in verse 6. He says it's growing. It's growing because it's living. You know, growth is a natural result of something that's alive. Something that's, you know, alive and growing. Each one of you, each one of us here should be further along in Christian maturity than we were a year ago. Every single one of us in here who have a relationship with Christ should be further along in that relationship than we were a year ago. And each one of us should also be telling others about Jesus. And this is done mainly by telling them. You, can tell, you tell others about Jesus mainly by telling them what he has done and what he is doing in your life. And in the life of those you know. That is how you tell others about Jesus. And every single one of us, each and every one of us, is responsible to do that. He has told us we need to do that. There's no excuse for not doing it. It does not take a theology degree to be able to tell someone you know, what Christ has done. It does not take any special training. You simply tell people what you know about Jesus. Well, but I don't know. 
Don't be stopped by what you don't know. Okay, don't be stopped by what you don't know. Instead, be motivated by what you do know about Jesus. And tell others what you do know about him. Not all of those things you don't know, but what you do know about him. You know, well, I don't know too much. It's okay, tell them that. Tell them that not much that you know. Tell them what it is you know. Don't be stopped because you don't know other things. Don't be stopped because, you know, I, I, I don't have any Bible verses memorized. Or I, I don't, whatever it is. Stop with those excuses. Cut it out and start telling people what you do know about Jesus. Be motivated by what you already know. Let's pick up verse 9. I want to finish this section. <clears throat> he says, for this reason... Also, since the day that we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. Look what he says here. We have not stopped praying for you. <coughs> Verse 9, he says, we have not stopped praying for you. Pray for people. Pray for people, even those who seem like, we are, like they're doing well. Even for those who seem like they have it all together, pray for people. Paul never met these Colossians. He'd never been to Colossae. He never met them, yet he was praying for them. You know, I, this past week I prayed for several people I never met. Some of them came through on, on our prayer chain. You know, we get, uh, I get you know, the prayer chain requests and things that come along. And some of these people I never met, I never heard of. You know, I, I, and I don't know him at all, but I can still pray for him. I also prayed this week for the doctors and nurses that were going to operate on uh, Karen Sober. I went to the hospital and I prayed with her. And one of the things we prayed for is for those doctors and nurses, uh, the technicians, everybody who's going to be taking care of her, that they would do their job well. You know, and I never met these people. I don't know any of them. No, but I can still pray for him. You know, I, I prayed for the family of a police officer who was killed a couple of weeks ago. And then this last week, there was another police officer that was shot. Both in Indiana. And I prayed for her. And I, I, I never met her. I, I don't know her. You can use your church directory as a prayer guide to pray your way through that. Pray for one another. This is what he's told us to do. Pray for one another. Now, let me encourage you. <coughs> you know, pray more than just the generic Lord. You know, Lord, Lord, please bless Leon and Ann and Travis and Brenda. Be with Elvin, with Carol, with Anastasia, with Annika. It's fine to pray those things. You know, it really is. And I'm, I'm not belittling that at all. But instead, look at verse 9. Start praying these things for them. Look at verse 9. Personalize it. You know, pray this. You know, Lord, please fill Michelle with the knowledge of your will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that she may walk worthy of and fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in knowledge of you. 
And O may Michelle be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience. Please fill her with joy. You see, you can pray scripture for people. You can pray. There's other prayers here in Colossians. There's so many Ephesians. And you can pray these things for people. You don't have to know someone to pray for them. You know, and especially, you know, praying for them, especially part of your north side family. Well, I don't know those people. You got their picture right there in a directory. Pray for them. You know, pray for them. You don't have to know them. Look at some of the elements of this prayer. He says that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not filling him, not, not filling them with what we want. Not, not filling God with the knowledge of what we want. You know, we talked about this before. I mean, a prayer is to help us know God's will. It's not to fill God with our ideas. It's to help us understand God's heart and to know him better. You know, it's not clarity for him. It's clarity for us. Knowledge of God's will always has ethical implications because it requires you to bring your conduct in line with God's will. And that's why some people don't want to hear about Christ, because if God is real, then that, that they understand there's an implication for me then. And see, as God's people, if God is real, there are implications for us. Filled with the knowledge of his will, with wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what we all need. I mean, we all need wisdom and spiritual understanding. If you're only depending on your own ideas, if you're only depending on your own understanding, on your own reasoning, then your reasoning is very anemic. It is very weak. It is, it, you know, any wisdom that excludes Christ, any wisdom that, that makes him subordinate is counterfeit. You know, anything... Pray these things. Pray these things for me. I'd love it. You know, you know, he gives us the reason for wisdom and understanding. Notice it's not so that we can have the best life now, not so we can have an, an easy life. He said the reason is so that what we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Paul's mentioning some results there of receiving that knowledge. You know what it, everything we think and do, you know, will, will you know and pursue will be for His glory. That way I might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. You know, that what we produce will be healthy fruit. Galatians, he writes to the Galatians and tells them about the fruit. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's some things to pray for. There's some things to pray about. Second Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort. How, what, what, how many efforts? Well, every effort to supplement, supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, bearing fruit. The, 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 fruit, the, the fruit that you are producing, the results of your living, will res, they will reveal the actual state of your heart. Is what Jesus tells us. He said a, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree does, doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man, well, he produces evil out of the evil storeroom. For his mouth speaks 
from the overflow of his heart. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. You see, when, 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 when the heart is squeezed, what comes out is what's inside. When you squeeze it, what comes out is what's inside. When you get squeezed, what comes out of you is what's inside. What comes out of your mouth is what they find in your heart. You know, and, and that tells us, you know, that tells us how, how you know, where our, where our, you know, where our faith is. Your heart is revealed by the way you are living out each day. By the way you are living that out. You know, and we continue to grow deeper in our knowledge of God. You know, he, he talks about that, the knowledge. It continues to transform us. It's, it's increasing in spiritual maturity. Because we have a relationship with Christ, you know, because we have that personal relationship with God, our potential of knowing Him is infinitely deep. You are never going to plumb the depths. You can always learn more. You can always be drawn deeper into this relationship with Him. So we never cease growing in our knowledge of and our relationship with Him. You know, we continue in that. Now, our knowledge should result in more than simply knowing right from wrong, knowing good from evil. It should result in our doing more right, in our doing more good. It's a practical knowledge. This is what he's talking about. A practical knowledge results in godly living, living by God's wisdom, living by God's direction, living in his presence you know, and, and with him more. How you are living is reflecting your relationship with Christ. The knowledge of God is not to inform us but to transform us, resulting in living for God. You see, it's not just to give us more knowledge, but it's to transform us and help us better live for God. It's a great prayer. Look at the progression there in verse 11. It says that you'll be strengthened according to His glorious might. Strengthened why? Well, he says, for all endurance... For patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father, he says. And he says that Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance. You know, that Father who has rescued us from the domain of darkness. The one who has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Kingdom, you know, a, a kingdom refers to living under the authority and direction of another. Here, a, a, a living under the authority and direction of Christ. Living under the rule and reign of Christ. That's what a kingdom is. In a kingdom, you live under the rule and the reign of the king. And when you're in his kingdom, you know, you live under his rule and reign. But he goes on, he says, and we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin in him redemption is redemption is it's 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 much it's it's a reality given by god it's much fuller and deeper than we even grasp a hold of you know it includes christ paying the ransom that we owed for our sin it says in first corinthians you are not your own why you were bought with a price there's a definition of of redeemed right there bought with a price you take your pawn ticket to a, the pawn st- shop and what do you do you give them the money you you pay a price and you get that you know, there's the picture. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. It includes removal of the curse of the law. Galatians, he says, Christ has what? Redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has paid that price for the curse of the law. Why? By becoming a curse for us. He's redeemed us. It includes our release from the bondage of sin and brought into grace. First Peter 
chapter 1, he says, For you know that you were redeemed. You were, you, were, you were bought. You were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Redemption is always and only through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of anything we do. So what do you know? Well, what you know is that Jesus is your Savior. You know that you're redeemed. You know that you're transformed by His saving grace. You know that you are still growing in knowledge. You know that He wants you to pray for one another. You know that He wants you to encourage others. You know that this world is, you know, there's messed up values that they oppose Christ Jesus, that they oppose Him. So who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Your own thoughts, your own dreams, your own frustrations, the desires that our culture wants you to fit into. You know, these are false ideas pretending to be knowledge. All of these are inadequate. What you do know is that Jesus died on the cross to redeem you and pay for your sins. Live like Jesus' death matters to you. Live like it matters to you. The way you speak to your co-workers, the way you speak with your neighbors, the way you treat people who have offended you, the way you respond to one another. Live like Jesus' death matters to you. And tell others what you do know about Jesus. Don't be stopped by what you don't know. Tell them what you do know. Who are you following? What have people heard about you? About who you follow? Live like his death matters. Tell others of what you do know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who have come and told us about you. Those who have come and allowed us to know you and to see you. Thank you for those who we can see Christ in. Those who we know their lives have been transformed because you have done great works of grace in them. Those who cared enough to love us when we were and when we are unlovable because you have changed them and transformed them. Thank you for those who have encouraged us. We need it, Lord. Now we've heard your word. Help us to live your word. Help us to obey what you have said. Not so others will think more of us, but so that others will think more of you and will think of you more. And help us to be some of those also who think of you more. We pray with thanks in Christ's name. Amen.